Welcome. To those of you who are new to Living Hope, uh, we have two parts to our service. This is the teaching hour. There's an official welcome in the preaching hour, so we will welcome you in name then. I know that some people have been adversely affected because of the ungodly run this morning, marathon. All those sinners uh, that choose not to come to church, pray for their salvation. I'm sure there's some Christians that are disobedient this morning, and we will, we will pray for affliction for them. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, you should have a copy of the handout now. Uh, those of you who weren't here last week, I have uh, filled in the answers. If you were here last week and you missed some answers, you can cheat and take one of those sheets. If you don't have, Auntie Jean will get it to you somehow. And she'll throw it at you, but uh, you'll, you'll get it. If you need a copy, just come this way. Uh, no, Auntie Jean, you don't have to get up. Uh, Uncle Gilbert can get up. You can sit down. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to keep, uh, well, you don't have to bring this week's notes to the next class uh, because that will be lesson two. I was split between finishing this very quickly and going on to the next one, which deals with psychology, psychiatry, and what nothetic counseling is. And uh, instead of rushing through this morning's second part of the lesson, I'm going to finish it and give us time for Q&A. And then next time when we meet... Uh, I will get to looking a little bit at the difference between secular counseling and biblical counseling. Uh, so I was supposed to do that this week, but obviously with, no, you, with me you know that I don't ever finish my notes. And so this week I will get to finish last week's notes. <clears throat> Some of you will gravitate to biblical counseling. That's because God has gifted you in that way, and this is a subject that you want to be involved in and invested in. Um, there are some of you who just doesn't bother you. You're not really interested. This is not one of your favorite topics. Uh, I hope to persuade you throughout this course that every one of you should be a counselor in some sort of fashion. Um, biblical counseling is a subcategory of discipleship. Those of us who are quote-unquote spiritual, and I'll explain that in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, what that means when we get there, should be able to counsel others in the church. So, as we continue this morning, we're going to look at the last two points. Uh, I think it's page four in your notes, page five, I think it's in your notes, um, and six, point four, new, Roman numeral four, and I'll continue from that point onwards. If you have any questions, please ask it. I'm supposed to repeat it. If I don't repeat the question for the recording, uh, please just put up your hand and ask me to repeat it uh, so that we can have a record of those questions as well. <clears throat> All right, so let's begin with point four in your notes. Why is nothetic counseling different and unique? It is unique because our objectives are unique. Our objectives are unique. The goal of secular counselors are different to the goals of nothetic counselors. We do not have the same perspective of life. We do not have the same approach to life. But neither do we have the same outcomes or goals 
for our counseling sessions. Psychology is centered on four, four or five, depending on who you speak with, four or five major goals. Number one, it's to describe, to explain, to predict, or change and control the outcome of people. So number one, describe. Number two, explain. Number three, predict or then change the outcome. That's the four most prominent ones. The last one is um, to give a better quality of life, to change the quality of life of people. And there are counselors, secular counselors, who mean well. Uh, You can hear from that, that most of them are meaning well, but uh, essentially they don't have the capacity to produce lifelong change or lasting change that will glorify God. The goal of psychologists are not to put you in a position where you can honor the Lord. It's not even in their scope. Now, Christian counselors who use psychology would say, yes, it is for the glory of God, but they unfortunately use secular psychology. Secular humanism tries to relieve people from their misery or their situation. They try to make the problem go away. They are told, or at least they tell us, you are the victim. Doesn't matter what happens. You are the victim. It's not your fault. It's society's fault. It's your parents' fault. It's uh, your school's fault. It's your boss's fault. But it is, it's not your fault. In fact, uh, I read once, um, I forget which uh, journal article it was, but according to Freud, the reason you have gluttony, people who eat a lot without control, is not because they are at fault. Not because they have a problem in their soul. It's because their moms didn't breastfeed them. Yeah. So those moms who are refusing to breastfeed, well, there you go. You go you're creating a glutton. No, that is not the reason. That is not the answer. That person has multiple problems. There's a lack of self-control. There's uh, self-indulgence. Uh, there is uh, desire to gratify the, uh, the, the, the um, flesh. Or there's a multiple-layered problem with a person that lacks the ability to control food intake. But they will never mention that because it's not his problem. So secular counseling does not deal with the root cause. They deal with the outcomes. Well, your, so your problem is eating too much or gluttony. They, they won't mention that word. Um, and so, well, let's blame that guy and that person. Uh, and, well, just go on a diet. So they divert the approach to, um, uh, to help the person feel better about themselves and to become more self-reliant and self-motivated. So question, what is wrong with this kind of thinking? Why is that kind of secular counseling wrong? Yes, Wayne? Because it doesn't change the heart. That is true. What else? Yes, sir. There you go. It takes responsibility away from the individual. What else? Where's the Berean guy? I'm looking at you. Yes, Yes, go ahead. 100%, yeah. So not only does it move the responsibility and accountability, but it doesn't deal with the cause or the root problem. Still waiting for an answer. Ultimately, a 
Amen. Yes, there is no... It's focused on self. Secular counseling is focused on your ability to overcome your problem. Uh, if you are in Berean, just so that you know, I am going to call on you because you are doing biblical counseling as well. Uh, for those of you who are not in Berean, I may call on you as well, like Brandon. To <laughs> I always call on Brandon, so you should know by now. I'll give you, uh, I've got a second question, Brandon. No worry about it. What is our goal? B, our, your goal as a counsel, uh, um, for your counselee or as an, a counselor is to please God. To bring glory to God in what you say and the outcome. What you want to see in the life of uh, God's people. Our goal is different. It is not to make them better for society. Now they may be. Uh, in fact, one of the, the motives of secular psychology is they are not properly socialized. The reason they struggle is because they don't know how to live in society. Um, there is a truth element to that. Uh, sometimes believers don't know how to live in a church community. Uh, so they need to be brought into think in terms of how God wants them uh, to live. So there is some truth uh, to that, but that's not the goal. That should be the net result of showing them the scriptures. They should naturally come to the conclusion, hang on, I need to be part of a church. I need to submit to my leaders. I need the counsel of other saints in my life. The goal is not even to make them feel better about themselves. Yes, self-esteem is not on the horizon of a biblical counselor. It is not to build the other person up uh, to feel better about himself. It is to build up their what? Inner man, as the Bible says. To edify them so that they can bring glory to God. The difference is that the believer must understand their lives in the scope of God's purposes for his life or her life. So sometimes God brings affliction. So the goal is not to relieve them from the misery or to take them out of the hardship, but to help them understand the purpose of God for that hardship. And sometimes we don't get to understand it. But it is to help them see that God has a plan. We may not know the plan, but God does have a plan for their condition. And it doesn't matter what it is. They need to live for God and not for self. They need to please God and not self or even society. The goal of biblical counseling, notheric counseling, is completely different. It is antithetical to secular humanism and counseling. Our goal is not to remove the trial, but rather to have a godly perspective of the trial. The goal is not to build up self-esteem, but to build up reliance and dependence upon God. The reason why I have not given you all my notes is because I want you, it's more memorable if you write it down, because there are some things that is important to you that you will make note of and other people will not. If I give you everything, I'm spoon-feeding you. And if you've been a part of this church, you know that that doesn't happen. Um, you, you need to take responsibility for both understanding and taking uh, notes. So James chapter 1 verse 19. 
one of the goals of biblical counseling is, uh, sorry, not uh, 19, um, verse 17. I don't, know, I don't know if that verse is in your notes, but it's verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. So first of all, every good and perfect gift is from above. What's the context? Chapter 1, verse 3, 2, verse 19, uh, 18, the how does a believer respond in trials? And in the, well, at the end of what James speaks about, he says, you have to view life through the lens of God's work. Every good and perfect gift that includes your affliction, your hardship, which is a refining process that God has placed upon you, even that is good because the outcome, God's outcome will always be good. So it changes the perspective of the counselee um, regarding the affliction that they are going through. In professional counselling, you only go until you are able to quote-unquote fix the problem. Then they are self-reliant and dependent. You don't need to do anything else. Now, most counselling will go on for a long time until you get to the recommendation, which is usually medication. Biblical counselors do not depend on medication for soul problems. And I'll get to that next time. So biblical counseling is by nature different and unique. It is different to secular uh, counseling and psychology and unique in its approach to counseling. Point five. It is unique because our methods are unique. Now, we'll get to the application of biblical counseling later on. I think it's lesson four or five. Uh, but for now, I will just mention a couple of things. Number one, Christians cannot pull from secular systems and hope to, uh, hope to produce results that please God. We cannot lean on secular psychology and say that I am helping God's people to become holy. Why not, Brandon? <laughs> I will not repeat that. Someone else, please help him. <laughs> Why can we not pull from secular uh, humanism and psychology to help godly Christian people? Um, Johan. Yeah, they oppose one another and they will never integrate. Another reason? Yes. Amen. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the two opposing, the one's for the world, they hate God, they don't use his word. And that's pretty simple. You should, should never be using what is not God's for God. Yeah, good point. The secular counselors kind of bring motive than the political counselors. The motives are That's true, yeah. Part of it is that their motives are different, yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, James three thirteen uh, and following. Uh, there is wisdom from below, 
which is not from God. And he says, that wisdom is demonic. It's not aimed, as my wife said, that it starts with self, but it's never aimed to bring glory to God. So they can never bring glory to God. So why on earth would Christians depend or lean on secular humanism or psychology to bring glory to God? The two are two different worlds, two different perspectives. There are a number of Christian universities, or I should say not Christian, yeah, universities, Christian colleges, Christian Bible colleges and seminaries that teach psychology as part of counseling, pastoral counseling. The, the, the methods employed in pastoral ministry in almost every theological institute in South Africa is secular. It's based on psychology. How on earth can we produce righteousness and godliness and a God-honoring walk by means of secular humanism or psychology? We can't. So we need to stop using earthly wisdom to drive godly walk. Now, I've got uh, an example in your notes. Ex- uh, point A. Temperament personality theory. Anybody heard about that? Temperament personality theory. I'm going to shock you now. So this is derived from Greek mythology, not medicine. And here are some, there's four. So I'm going to give you the four. You don't need to know how to spell it or write it. Just write what you hear. It's okay. So there are those who have the temperament that is derived from sanguine blood. Number two, phlegmatic phlegm. Phlegmatic blood or or, um, nature, and then choleric, and then melancholic. So some of them sounds familiar, right? Melancholy, choly, choleric, and phlegmatic. They they should sound familiar. So let me give you some examples. The sanguine guy in Afrikaans, if Afrikaans we would say say bloedersbarm. You know what that means, like say plat brandweer. <laughs> Who says Chantan? <laughs> Brother, they are. <laughs> These are the yeah plat guys. These are the lively, carefree, um, thrill seekers. They don't care what people say; they just do. They are the guys that jump from airplanes. Um, sometimes with a parachute. So. <laughs> uh, but also negatively, they are selfish. The first point is always me. They are self-centered. So I'm not trying to shock you. I'm not saying that they, this is secular wisdom. So don't say, don't use this in how you think of people in this church. Okay, so the phlegmatic person is a people-pleasing person. They want constant confirmation. Please don't write this down. Junaid, no. (laughs) Because you're going to use this in in trying to psychoanalyze people. They do things uh, to please others so that they would feel better about themselves. Uh, Yeah, you can think of of a few people, but don't. The um, choleric is the yellow bowel analytical... Um, logical person. I don't know why they add yellow bile. It's just disgusting. But anyway, so 
the, the analytical and logical person, goal-oriented, generally the engineers, I'm just saying, the, um, the go-getters, but negatively, they trample on people. <laughs> yeah. uh, they um, are short-tempered and bullish. So you could probably say, yeah, I know an engineer like that. Then the melancholic, I'm not commenting on that, uh, melancholic person, also known as the black bile temperament, <laughs> they love tradition. They love to cook for men. <laughs> These are men who open doors for women. They are also easily depressed and needy. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I opened the door for my wife. Am I needy? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Who said yes? <laughs> Excommunicate Matthew 18. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so these are ways in which they, they view people. There's a different temperament depending on the kind of phlegm or bile that you have. Um, yeah. That's not science. That's Greek mythology. And it found its way into quote-unquote science and psychology. Ever heard of chemical imbalances? Hmm. Interesting. These uh, four are also called personality types. Not based on what? Medicine, but on Greek mythology. Oh, I just have this kind of personality. Find the word personality in the Bible. I dare you. Yes, you can Google it. You won't find it. Because personality does not come from the Bible. The Bible speaks of different people who act differently. Why? Because they are created differently. But then there is also the sin factor that affects the heart and the mind of an individual, and that's why he is selfish. That's why he has no control and walks over people. So no, don't blame the phlegm. Alright, so let me just deal with this because it does cover uh, an aspect of this. Chemical imbalances. Those of you who are in medicine may have come across this. Um, until recently, from the 1980s, chemical imbalance, which is the imbalance of the serotonin levels in your mind or in your body, it, um, it, it, it throws you off. And because of this chemical imbalance, you need to have medicine to bring up your, or reduce your serotonin level to help you live more normally. So until... Uh, 2022, that has been the medical conviction uh, for a long time. Until recent uh, research indicated, and I'll read it to you um, from the, uh, well, there's, there's, there's four major medical research reports on it. First, the medical report. Secondly, the psychology today, neuroscience, news, and technology. Uh, all reference this article and the research done because it's, it's life-changing. Quote, The causes of depression have long been debated, yet a common explanation holds that the culprit is, quote, chemical imbalance in the brain. This notion emerged <clears throat> uh, not coincidentally in the late 1980s with the introduction of Prozac. 
the drug that appeared to be helpful in the treatment, um, in treating depression by increasing levels of the brain neurotransmitters uh, in the serotonin, uh, um, serotonin levels. He goes on to say, many people take antidepressants, which have this in, believing that the depression has a biochemical cause. I'm still reading from the, the medical journal. Research, however, does not support this belief. The notion that antidepressants work by elevating serotonin levels is not supported by this article. Evidence is just plainly not there, end quote. Wow. Medical research finally caught up with what biblical counselors have been saying all along. It's not a, a, a medical problem. Now, having said that, there can be medical issues that causes depression. There can be uh, thyroidism that can cause it. There can be heart problems that can cause it. There can be medication for heart problems that can cause that. So there are other medica medicating uh, factors that can cause depression. But what science has caught up with is the reality that depression is not a medical or chemical imbalance problem. So if it is not that, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? A soul problem. Here's the thing. Psychiatrists and psychologists will say to you as a pastor or you as a counselor or you as a Christian that you cannot deal with depression. Do Christians suffer depression? Yes, they do. I know a biblical counselor at this time at Grace Community Church suffering from depression. Somebody who's been teaching against depression and helping people through depression now suffers from it. And I will point out to you in three weeks' time that there is somebody in the Bible that suffered from depression as well. Um, but nevertheless, I'm not going to deal with depression now because I think it's, it's a mind changer when you get the biblical perspective of it. Um, there is no pill that will cure your soul's problem. There are medical problems, and when you are in counseling with a person, one of the leading questions is, are you on medication that can cause your depression? Or do you know of any medical problem that you have that can result in this? If they have not been uh, identified, I would encourage to see a Christian doctor that would be able to help with that. Um, a Christian doctor that subscribes to the Bible, because there are Christian doctors that don't. Uh, we mentioned uh, substitute language last week, and I just want to mention here, um, I think we covered... Yeah, we covered B, uh, not C, but we covered B. Try to avoid using unbiblical language for sin uh, in be believers' lives. We, we get away with it. Um, oh, no, you, 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 you suffer from... Let me, let, me, let me use one of them. You suffer from kleptomania. You have a disease. You just can't help yourself. Or... This person is just free-spirited. That's not a biblical term. There's no such thing as free-spirited. They are self-centered and sexually immoral. That's what the Bible says. Fornication. Use 
Okay, let me go to C. Our methods must flow from the Bible, and therefore our language needs to flow from the Bible. Number one, use biblical language. If you identify that this person has this kind of sin, you need to mention what the Bible says about it so that they don't mistake what their problem is. On that, don't treat the cause, the, the, the outcome, without treating the cause. You've got to deal with the outcome. And there has to be solutions. It is not enough for counselors to say, uh, I pray that the Lord will help you with this problem. What if, it, what, what if a person is suffering from depression because they, was, they were fired illegally from their job? Or they were treated in a wrong way at their work? You've got to deal with that aspect as well. So it's not enough to say, let's deal with the depression or deal with the emotional trauma that you're going through. That is part of it. But the other part is, how do you deal with the, the practical aspect of it? Often, biblical counseling fails to deal with that part. We only speak about the spiritual aspect. I'll get back to that later on. Number two, affirm scripture as the authority. You don't want to lean on medicine when you don't need to lean on medicine. There are medical helps for medical problems. But what we are talking about is not a medical problem. You want to make the Bible authoritative in the counseling and in the life of the believer. Number three, reliance on divine help through prayer. When you go to a secular counselor, they will never open their counseling with prayer. They may burn some incense for you, but they will never pray for you. Number four, um, I should have had the verb make there. Make them accountable um, and do not dismiss their problems as mistakes, slip-ups, or unchangeable tendencies or quirks. Again, Christians get away with it. This is just my way. This is how I respond to people. I just speak my mind. Ever said that? I don't want to say um, there are people with gray hair that tend to think with, like that. I have gray hair so I can get away with it, right? <laughs> I just speak my mind. Um, often, often I have to apologize to people in counseling because I do have an abrasive um, nature. I can... I can say things without thinking through it very clearly, so I have to apologize if it comes across as being a bit harsh, and I don't intend to be that way. Um, but I am working on it. It's been 20 years. I am, I am still working on it. By God's grace, he hasn't struck me down yet. So um, be, be, be gracious and patient with, with me. Um, but anyway, let me move on. Do not use the word it's a slip-up or it's a mistake when a brother or a sister has sinned. Call out the sin. Examples, number two, of some, uh, uh, of, some of our employed methods. It's just awkward English here. In any given situation, these truths will be found in any counseling situation. It doesn't matter whether it's secular or biblical. So the biblical should approach the counseling session in any of the, uh, have any of the following approaches. Prayer, accountability, call to repentance, biblical change, joy in Christ, dependence on the word and the spirit. In secular counseling, clear the mind. 
come lie on my couch. Others are responsible for your problem. Ignore the guilt. You need proper socialization. Happiness from self-satisfaction. Dependence on self. Clearly, our approaches are two worlds apart. Number six. Did I jump over number five? No way. Okay, number six. Why is no theory counseling unique? Because your setting will be unique. Counseling will be in conjunction with the church and not independent to and of church life. What you do is a ministry of the church, even though it's at home with another saint. Now, obviously, if you're a guy, do not call a woman to your house and counsel them at home. If you are a married person and you are going to counsel a married woman, make sure that your wife is present or the husband of the other person uh, or wife, the spouse of the other person is present. There are too many examples in church history where counseling went wrong because there was one-on-one, oh, I am, sister, I just love you to bits and I want to help you. And then you help them just a little too long. Counseling must be accountable to church life. So what you do in your private capacity needs to reflect what the church believes about counseling, but should always, if it needs be, come back to church life. Matthew 18 tells us that. You go to that person first. If they don't listen, you take witnesses along from the church. And if they still don't listen, you make it known to the church. Notice, nowhere in there, does it say, go to the elders? Now, it is obviously proper at some stage to tell the elders, we have a problem here, because it is generally the elders that make it known to the church. But sometimes we use um, the scapegoat of the elders to skinner about our counseling. Do you know that this person and that person does this? Counseling should aim to help the person churches should uh, one and two churches should not have counseling centers that is independent of churches but should be counseling centers as a whole meaning we should be functioning as counselors on a daily constant basis why because it is discipleship all you do in counseling, all that you will do in counseling is for the upbuilding of the body and that believer. So this means that B, every church member should be able to counsel others in the church. So there's a little gray box in your notes, uh, Galatians 6. Can, I'm going to read it from the text. And then I want somebody to read it out loud from your notes because I don't have it in my notes. Um, Galatians chapter 6 is 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, read the translation that I wrote in your uh, text, Brandon. Spirit should restore him in the spirit of meekness, 
watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted to sin. Amen. The, the idea of you are spiritual, it sounds adjectival, um, is rather the stance that you who have the spirit, and if you read further, it actually comes from chapter 5, those who walk by the spirit, who have the spirit and are in the spirit, have the fruit of the spirit. That is the person that he's talking about. Those who have the spirit, they need to be able to counsel God's people. So who of you as God's people have the spirit of God? We all do, right? The second part of the, that, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, who of you are walking in the Spirit and are producing the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, it's a little bit more difficult. That's the person he's talking about in counseling. So those who are spiritual, who are walking in the Spirit, who are obedient to the Spirit, they need to be able to counsel God's people. Why? Because they're not depending on human wisdom. They are depending upon the Spirit to guide them in counseling. Every member in this church should be able to counsel another member in this church. Okay. Number seven. Why is... No theory counseling unique because your results will be unique. I'm just going to mention this and move on because I want to get to the principle. Counselees will be edified. God will be glorified. And even when all seems to fail, believers can still grow and God will still be glorified. Make sense? Even when it seems like your life is falling apart, I, I know when, what's his name? Cheslin came to this church. God's hand was on him to such a degree that his car burnt out. His life at home fell apart. Everything that he was holding dear to was just being stripped away. And I know that there are some of you who are new to this church who are feeling the same pressures. I'm not saying it's the church. <laughs> Don't leave because of that. But the minute Paul says it this way, those who desire to live godly life will face persecution. The word can also mean affliction. Will face hardship. It comes with living godly lives. Just because it's not going your way doesn't mean you're not being able, that you're not able to be edified by it. Just because it's not your, going your way doesn't mean that God is not glorified in it. Consider Job. Consider Job. Do you think things went this way? Not at all. Not in the least. Do you think God was glorified in that? By all means. Number eight. Number eight. Because the perspective is unique. I think this is pretty obvious. Um, no theory counseling helps believers change their worldview of life, circumstances, hardship, and affliction. Life is hard. But take note of this. As a believer, it is never void of God. That means you can make it through. God has given the grace gift of the church to be a supplement and a support to your life. 
Why on earth would you keep your struggles, your affliction to yourself? So let me ask you this. Why do you think it's so hard for Christians to be honest about their lives? Ever ask somebody, how are you doing? And get the response, oh, the Lord is good. Push past that. I know the Lord is good. You don't have to tell me that. It's in His Word and I've, I experience it on a daily basis. I didn't ask you how God is. I asked you, how are you doing? We've become so um, pleased with just the normative response. Oh, it's cool. Life goes on. Ask Brother Gilbert. He's one of the most honest persons that I know when it comes to asking. Don't laugh, brother. <laughs> that, that it comes to asking about life. He will tell you. It's the bones today. There's a storm coming tomorrow, I can tell you. <laughs> and I appreciate that about it because I can now pray that he's got affliction and he's struggling to sleep and there are a lot of heart problems. There's a lot of things that he's going through. But yet, if you look at Brother Gilbert, they always have a smile on their face. Look at our sister Jean. The God has given us testimonies of what it means to be faithful in affliction, in hardship, in life issues. And yet, we don't want to learn from that. There was a hand up there. Yeah, it could, it could be a pride issue, and men are notorious for this. How's it going? Yay, the Lord is good, man! <laughs> and never go beyond that. We, as men, can be superficial. And then you come home and you moan about this and that and that. Why? Because you, you are holding things inside and building it up. God has given us a grace gift in not only having a haven in a church body, but also having believers that can help you through it and pray for you in it. Why on earth would we keep our lives secret and private? Church life is not a secret matter. All right, let me move on to principle one. We are 10 minutes from having to finish, so I want to quickly touch on this and give opportunity for questions. Principle number one, your circumstance is not unique and, nor unbearable. I can see people snooking at this. Yeah, I'm looking at you. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. Who knows this verse? Who can quote this verse? You should know it off by heart. Come on. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is what? Common to man. But with the temptation, I think there's a clause that says God is faithful. It's either in the middle or at the end of your verse. God will provide an escape. God is faithful. Or God is faithful and he will provide an escape so that you may be able to what? Bear it or bear up underneath it, depending on how you translate that verbal form. What does it mean? 
God has adequately provided for you in your affliction. But take note how it starts. No trial is that word that is translated temptation. No trial has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, you are not alone in what you're experiencing. Yes, you may have bad bones. Ever read David's Psalms? Ever met somebody that has a worse situation than you or similar to you? Uh, I said to my wife, um, we came back from, from Christ Seminary this week uh, at a conference there, and having spoken to some of the men there, my heart just bled for those guys working in Soweto in, in Mozambique and having a lot less than what we have. And they are faithful, faithful, faithful. A guy who goes into the pulpit every week without his church caring for him. And he says, brother, I am so encouraged that God has given me a little uh, community to, to, to serve under. I was like, wow. That's a changed perspective. Often Christians think that their loads are too heavy to bear or they are the only person in the world that has this problem. Now, you may have an incurable disease, but there are others who have incurable diseases as well. You may have a unique disease, something that some, no one has ever heard of, but others have unique diseases as well. There is nothing that happens under the sun that it is just you and you alone. And that's the point that Paul says, what you're going through is not new. Look at the example of Israel. And the context here is idolatry. They deferred to worship things rather than the true and living God. When things got hard, what did they fall to? Default to idols. And his warning is that these things were written for our example and for our instruction. In other words, don't do what they did. Don't default to falling onto things rather than depending upon God. Your life is not unbearable. God has given you, yes, he has, God has given you the life that you have. The only challenge is how do you get through it? How do you depend upon God in it? Now, the key in this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, is this, that God has given you a measure or a way of escape. You know what the escape is? So that you may bear the trial. It's not so that he may remove the trial, but that he, would be, that he would strengthen you in it to such a degree that you can bear with it. Because sometimes God does not remove the cancer. Sometimes God does not remove COVID or long COVID. Sometimes God does not remove the ungodly husband. Sometimes you've been praying for him to be saved and said, Lord, if he doesn't get saved, just remove him. Sometimes God doesn't do that. But regardless of the nature of your circumstance, God has not given you too much to bear. All right, questions or comments? You can look at the suggested book. I love Psychobabble, one of the best books on psychiatry and psychology, how they mess things up and are not able to help God's people. 
Um, I encourage you to get that. Any questions, comments, final points, points of disagreement, confusion, concerns, nothing? Yes, I knew it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. And so we don't um, let the person feel validated for how they are feeling. You have the right to be angry because of so and so that happened. So we don't validate their feelings. But how can we acknowledge what they're going through is genuine, is hard, you know? So, so I'm asking, can it be okay to acknowledge how they feel that it's real? Yes. But Good question. How should we respond if somebody has yes um, a very hurtful experience in life? Do we just say, "I'm praying for you" and pull yourself up? You know, God has given you the circumstance. What's wrong with you? That would be a very cold counselor. Avoid that person. Um, You want to affirm that what they are going through is real. Now, I'm not talking about the. Uh, a person who struggles with, with the emotions. There are people who are overwhelmed by emotions. That is a sin when they are constantly anxious, constantly um, um, worried about things, um, moaning about things, uh, 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 critical of others. That's a different issue. That's an issue you have to point out. But if somebody's going through a, a hardship and affliction, you can not only sympathize with them, you want to acknowledge that, yes, you have to be angry about the sin that, was, um, that, that has been committed to you. What this guy did is absolutely wrong, and I'm just as angry about it that he got away with it. And that uh, um, there's a sister in, in, in our church who, who got released from a job, and my desire was sinful. I wanted the guy who, who did the hearing, the initial hearing, I wanted... I prayed for this guy. First of all, Lord, save him. But if not, Lord, burden his his sleep. Make him sweat at night. The reason is I was so angry. Because my heart, when I heard that video, that recording, I was so burdened that he abused, verbally abused somebody that I love as a believer in this church. I was, was, you can ask my wife, I was fuming. You want to affirm that, that they were wrong and they were wronged. Um, so yeah, we don't. We, it's not counseling. Doesn't mean that you ignore the emotional turmoil and struggle that they're going to. I'm going to get to that when it comes to the application of counseling. Often counselors do fail in that. We we are so spiritual. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lay my hand on you, and it's all going to be okay. Hang on. There's an emotional trauma. There's a physical trauma. There is a scar that can't be healed by just prayer. It's going to take a while for God to help this person deal with this. Um, And so you want to walk them through that and and be faithful to understand that they are going to struggle with it. Uh, I think I mentioned it. It's one of the previous points that we don't give up on them. There are those who are going to struggle with with anxiety for longer periods than others. Um, So you want to understand that it's not as easy for them depending on the circumstances. Okay, I have to end. It is 10 o'clock or at least two minutes to... Nothing else. There is always next time.